Our passage from Matthew's Gospel today, which Tina read, concerns a well-known incident in which Jesus went head-to-head with Satan in the desert after fasting for 40 days. Many of you will realize this is the passage, the incident, which gives lead to the practice of Lent, in which many in our society, and not just Christians, give up some pleasure for some 40 days prior to Easter. I've always been intrigued that Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness isn't immediately prior to Easter, it's at the start of his ministry. I've been asking the question, why did he do this? It was the beginning of his ministry, he'd just been baptized, and at his baptism, the Spirit had descended on him like a dove, and his fathered voice had declared, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. All the resources in heaven, all the resources of the well available to him. And the passage begins with the word then, then. That is straight after baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Sometimes we think of fasting, we hear the word and we think of it as a spiritual discipline to enable us to concentrate on God to the exclusion of other things. Here is something that might help us get closer to God and next month I believe Sue's going to teach on this very theme of prayer and fasting. But listen, what intrigues me about this passage is Jesus could not have been any closer to God than being full of the Holy Spirit and having just received the seal of approval of his Father God with an audible voice from heaven. So why did he enter the desert? Matthew tells us it's because Jesus was led by the Spirit. Why did the Spirit lead him into the desert? It was so that he might be tempted by the devil. Now, the unidentified writer of the Bible book Hebrews tells us this, Hebrews 4.25, For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to empathize with us with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. It's an amazing comfort to us. An amazing realization that if we have temptations to do wrong stuff, Jesus had them too, but Jesus overcame. Now he or she, that's the writer to the Hebrews, also said this about Jesus, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. That verse from Hebrews tells us two things. One, Jesus' experience of temptation by the devil in the desert wasn't a formality. It wasn't a token gesture. It wasn't a ritualistic play acting. It was real. It actually cost Jesus because he himself suffered when he was tempted. And secondly, the truth is he did it for us. He underwent this real spiritual battle for us so that having overcome himself, he would be able to help us when we are tempted. There's a third verse in the New Testament that I want to draw our attention to on the theme of temptation. I'm so glad that it's in the Bible. It says this, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, common to men and women. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Make no mistake, temptation is real. 
It's important for us to know that temptation by itself is not sin. The Protestant reformer, the German Martin Luther said this, temptations of course cannot be avoided, but because we cannot prevent the birds from flying over our heads, there is no need that we should let them nest in our hair. Now, that's a pretty boring slide. I much prefer this one here. But do, do you notice something? There's a lot of hair there. I made the rude remark about bald men at the beginning, but bald guys, and there's several of us in church this morning, does that mean we never give in to temptation because we don't have the hair for the birds to make their nests in? Don't rest too easy. We are in trouble just the same as the other people. Succumbing to temptation is like letting the birds make a nest in your hair if you've got any. We're not all tempted by the same things, and I want to suggest that we're tempted through our gifts. The temptations that the devil brought to Jesus in the desert aren't immediately temptations that would be real to you and me. Here's number one, make these stones bread. Has it ever occurred to you when you were hungry to make the stones bread? Jesus knew he could do it, that's why it was a temptation for him. I wouldn't even go there. Although they do tell me if you're thirsty and you suck a stone, it does help you salivate a, a little bit. This, this other one, throw yourself off the highest point, the pinnacle of the temple. And uh, those who know about these things and research about these things say the pinnacle of the temple wasn't necessarily like the highest point, the spire or whatever we would have in a church situation today. But it's like this edge of the platform way above the Kidron Valley the southeast corner of the temple platform. Throw yourself off. Rule the kingdoms of the world. These were only temptations to Jesus because he was capable of doing the things he was tempted to do, and he knew it. And I guess those things would not be a temptation to you and me. So it strikes me that we're tempted according to our gifting. So here's a possibility. A good-looking person may be tempted in the area of sexual immorality or infidelity. A physically strong person might be tempted to achieve their goals by use of muscle and brawn. An adept thinker might be tempted to make progress in life, even in church life, through cunning schemes. And all of us are tempted by things. We call that consumerism. We tend not to be satisfied with what we have and we always want more. It's not so much that we're a generation of Oliver Twists because when he said, please sir, I want some more, he was living at subsistence level or even below it. His polite deference to Mr. Bumble the Beadle came from fear. We don't bother with the please sir in our generation. We regard more as our right or as Richard said to us a few weeks ago, entitlement and stuff is available. Stuff is attractive, and the temptation to accumulate more and more stuff is prevalent. I want to suggest to us in the area of temptation, it's where we are strongest that we must be on God. I want to observe also that Jesus' temptations parallel the history of Israel. You might remember the children of Israel were in the desert, not for 40 days, but for 40 years. Why were they there? We find the answer in the book of Deuteronomy, the very book that Jesus quotes in his reposts to Satan's temptations. 
Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. And after escaping the bondage of Egypt, the children of Israel during their 40 years in the wilderness failed at three major tests or temptations. Their first failure was refusing to trust God for their daily bread. They grumbled, they blamed Moses for bringing them out from, would you believe it, the comfort of their bondage in Egypt. At least in Egypt we had cucumbers, amongst other things. The second failing involved their lack of trust to provide water for them. This water tastes like, well, bitter, but not the kind to which we may be accustomed. My name's John Smith. I've had it all my life. And uh, I just remember sitting in one of the refreshment areas at Spring Harvest on a particular occasion, uh, and a friend slipped across the table to me a little beer mat that said, John Smith's bitter. And, and I pocketed it because I like to say, he's not. But this water tasted bitter. And the third failing was when the children of Israel broke their faith in God with the worship of the golden calf. They rejected his authority as he expected total undivided allegiance. And Jesus, after 40 days and nights of fasting, was tempted by the devil in parallel to those temptations to trust in himself rather than his Father in heaven. And instead of failing like the children of Israel, Jesus would be triumphant, prefiguring what he would do for the world on the cross, conquer sin and defeat the enemy. Jesus' first temptation was in the area of life's necessities, food. Same area in which the children of Israel showed their lack of trust. And the enemy chests Jesus' identity by saying, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread you're hungry. You're the son of God. It doesn't compute. Jesus, you can do it. Jesus, you know you can. Jesus responds, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice the enemy focuses on Jesus' identity and the relationship with God the Father by saying, if you are the Son of God, and often our temptations will test our identity as sons and daughters of God. How often do we think to ourselves when life is not running our way, if God really loved me, then I wouldn't be in this situation. And so Jesus' temptation relates to us, even though we wouldn't be tempted to make stones into bread. It's the kind of temptation when we are tempted to doubt in God's provision. And how many of us have not fallen into that particular trap? In the second temptation, the devil tries to trip up Jesus by getting him to provoke God by throwing himself off the pinnacle of the temple. It's, it's often the case when you're preparing a talk like this, something happens in the week which you think, wow, that was a gift from God. And there was a photograph in the press this week which seemed to me to tie in really well with this. And here's the photograph. It shows somebody called Matt Blank. Now, not LeBlanc, not Joey from Friends or the guy from Top Gear. Matt Blank on a Greek beach called, beach called Shipwreck Beach and he's a base jumper. 
and he's thrown himself off the top of the cliff and he's letting himself fall with the expectation that at the last gasp he's going to pull the string on the parachute and he's going to land safely on the beach and I guess he did because the newspaper article didn't carry his obituary. But the chalet we stay in, sometimes when we ski and sometimes, well, not always on those Swiss walking trips in the summertime, has this view down the Lauterbrunnen Valley. And uh, you often see parachutes of various kinds down the valley. And in the chalet, there's a wall which is covered with photographs of base jumpers who use that chalet to stay in and to sort of line up their equipment and get their strings in order down the long corridors of that chalet. And it was only last year that we sort of got the message that this wasn't a celebratory hall of fame. This was actually an obituary wall of the guys who had thrown themselves off the top from many countries in the world and hadn't managed to pull the ripcord in time and they'd splattered on the base of the Lauterbrunnen Valley. Now Jesus' temptation didn't involve either flying suits as some of them <coughs> use today or parachutes, rather angels. And notice the way in which Satan, the devil, uses a passage of scripture to try and entice Jesus to do what he didn't ought to do. Psalm 91, for he, that's God, will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, then they will lift you up in their hands. Come on, Jesus, if you're the son of God, he will not let you splatter on the base of the Kidron Valley. He's got work for you. The angels will come, they'll catch you. Come on, Jesus, you can do it. You can jump. You are the man. So sometimes people try to uh, justify the action of Judas Iscariot in terms of betraying Jesus, that Judas Iscariot was doing something similar. He was trying to provoke Jesus because he believed, so it's argued, that God wouldn't let him suffer. If Jesus had jumped off the temple, it would have been for the purpose of seeing if Psalm 91 were true. But Jesus doesn't do it. He doesn't do it not because he's afraid, not because he doesn't believe it might happen, but because it is written. Jesus didn't have to jump to prove his trust in the Father. He demonstrated it by trusting in God's word. As Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not tempt, you shall not test the Lord your God. And so the second temptation is about putting God to the test. When Israel was wandering in the desert, they were sanctioned for putting God to the test in the area of water supply. And in Exodus 17, verse 2, we read, So they quarreled with Moses. They did that a lot. And they said, Give us water to drink. And Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? And I wonder how many times do we test the Lord by saying things like this, Lord, if you do so and so for me, then I will know that you love me. Oh Lord, if you will do this one thing for me, then I will devote the rest of my life to your service. Lord, let me pass this exam and I will be in church every Sunday morning. Lord, let so-and-so ask me out and I will sponsor a child with compassion. <laughs> and the second temptation prepares us for those times when we're tempted to make deals with God. Have you ever done that? You've been tempted to make a deal with God? Have you made a deal? with God, that's the sinful part, making the deal with God, putting him to the test. 
Third temptation. The third temptation is the one in which the devil pulls out all the stops to get Jesus to worship him. In some sense, we're not sure how. Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and offers Jesus the lot on a plate. No! No rocky roads to Calvary. No suffering, no pain, no betrayal, no crucifixion. Sounds like an offer too good to refuse, even too good to be true. But ask the question, at what price? If Jesus had done that, we wouldn't have been celebrating communion this morning. If Jesus had succumbed to that temptation, we wouldn't be singing thank you for the cross and these other words that we've been worshipping God with. At what price? You worship me, says Satan. That corresponds to the time when Israel worshipped the golden calf in Exodus 32. They knew idolatry was wrong and was blasphemy against Jehovah God, and yet Aaron the priest facilitates the construction of a golden calf as the focus of worship. Here, give me your earrings, give me your bracelets, give me your gold jewelry, let's melt it down. We'll make a God that you can see. Once again, Jesus answers from Deuteronomy, this time Deuteronomy 6, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Where the children of Israel succumbed to temptation, Jesus resisted. You know, you can never overcome temptation by compromising with what you know to be wrong. You can never defeat evil by compromising with evil. Yes, I know that alternative practitioner uses occult remedies, but my back aches so much and I've tried everything else, any port in a storm, the end justifies the means. That is not how Jesus saw things. Yes, I know it's forbidden love, but forbidden love is better than no love in my book, and Christian principles go out the bedroom window. And Jesus says, it is written. So the third temptation helps us in circumstances when we're tempted to compromise with evil. Now we've all but glossed over the way in which Jesus fended off each temptation from the devil. Three words and then a quotation from the Bible, it is written. You know, I reckon Jesus would have been pretty hot on mastermind. Jesus of Nazareth, you have two minutes on your chosen specialist subject, the Hebrew Scriptures, a.k.a. also known as the Old Testament. And at the end of that round, Jesus of Nazareth, you've scored 24 points with no passes and no wrong answers. The Word of God was his defense against temptation by Satan. The Word of God was an effective weapon, but it could only be a defense if he knew it, and he did. I wonder how well we do on mastermind. If our specialist subject was the Word of God, the Bible, how well equipped are you and I to resist the temptations of the evil one? It's our familiarity with the Word of God which will equip us to resist temptation. How do we get there? Can I suggest one of the ways that we can get there is Keep up with the Sunday teaching material. Graham's laid out a program which is consistent and consecutive and different talks follow on from the other. If you miss a week, go and listen to it on the MP3, on the thing that you can download or listen to on the website. 
Commit yourself to a small group where the Bible is studied and explored and perhaps where you explore what's happened on the Sunday morning in some greater depth and think about how to apply it. Discipline yourself to regular Bible reading with the help of Bible study notes. Psalm 119, the longest psalm, reminds us that it's a good thing to hide God's word in our hearts so that we will not sin against him. How does that work? When we're familiar with God's word, the Holy Spirit brings to our mind the appropriate response to the temptations we experience, and then we can say, it is written. Don't even go there. And for Christian disciples in Bridge North in 2016, we mustn't go for a material kingdom which Jesus refused. I wonder, have we bought into the lie that says happiness is spelt S-T-U-F-F? We mustn't grab fulfillment now which Jesus declined. Have you perhaps bought into the lie of instant gratification? We mustn't compromise with Satan, which Jesus rejected. I wonder, have you bought into the philosophy which says, the end justifies the means? This is relevant to us. It happened 2,000 years ago. It relates back to stuff that happened a similar period before, or less hundreds of years before anyway, when the people of Israel were in the wilderness. But it's bang up to date, it relates to us. It relates to everyday situations, to everyday temptations, to everyday decisions. Jesus resisted temptations because of his knowledge of the word of God and was able to say, it is written. But Jesus actually resisted the temptations of Satan with two resources which are available to us. He went into the desert filled with the Holy Spirit. That same spirit is available to us. Ephesians 5.18 says this, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Have you been leaking? Do you need a top-up? That top-up's available whenever we call upon God and ask him to fill us with his Spirit. The Spirit, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Familiarize yourself with this book. Make it your spiritual food. For when Jesus consistently used the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God in the power of the Spirit, Satan left him and angels came and ministered to him. You know, there's a difference between you and me and Jesus. The difference is this, at that particular time, Jesus went to face Satan in the wilderness, deliberately put himself in the way of temptation. He used the same resources that's available to us, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, but he deliberately, because God wanted him to do that, to put himself in the way of temptation. I don't think that's the same for us. And I think, ah, position, our role, is not even to give temptation a body swerve, but actually to run in the opposite direction. And as we look at our lives, as we look at the things we watch, the places we go, the dangerous situations we get into for a Christian where we might be compromised, there will be times when it's good for us to say, I'm out of here. I'm out of here because I'm deliberately 
carelessly, recklessly putting myself in the places where I know I will be tempted to do the wrong stuff. So yeah, let's protect ourselves. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, but let's not play about. Let's walk away from temptation. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Word, the Bible. Thank you so much for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the way in which what he did, he did for us. Thank you so much that he didn't succumb to the temptations of Satan and therefore invalidate his role and his call and the whole business of dying on the cross for our salvation. Thank you so much that he withstood the test. Thank you, Father, for the resources that are available to us. Help us, Father, to resolve to be more familiar with your word, the Bible. Help us to be able to apply it in situations of temptation and situations of need. Help us also, Father, to know what it is daily to be filled up to overflowing with your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit, Father. Fill us with your Spirit even now as we pray. May we know his presence. May we know his power. May we know his prompting in everything we do. But Father, help us also to be wise. Help us not to be stupid. Help us not to deliberately go into situations where we know we are likely to fall. Thank you so much for that verse in 1 Corinthians which says that uh, no temptation is given which can overwhelm us because you've actually in each situation given us a way of escape. Help us to take that way of escape more and more and more and help us to be people who live their lives honouring the Lord Jesus and honouring you, our Heavenly Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.